Redeemer, Savior, all-powerful and almighty God. We give you thanks for gathering us together this morning for the purpose of worship, so that our lips may praise you, so that our hearts and our souls may sing out and give glory to you, for you are the God that made us, that calls us forth. And we praise you, Lord God. We praise you for this day that you have made, for you have blessed it and called it good. We praise you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, for gathering us together and animating our hearts and our minds that we may dwell on you and you alone. And Lord, all of those competing voices, all of those anxious thoughts and worries, we pray that you may silence them out, that we may focus on you and you alone that we may hear your word speaking to us, that we may be encouraged and strengthened here today, and that we may go forth ready to praise your name. Amen. So we turn to this Palm Sunday text. This is Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. And what I really want, hope to do today is to hold this in contrast with that um, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday scene, that the crowds that turn out to praise Jesus here in Mark 11 are the same crowds that are crying out for his crucifixion just a few days later. And that, that heart-aching question of why. What is it that caused these crowds that are so eager to praise him here in Mark what is it that caused them to turn on him so savagely later on in the same week? And what do we have to learn from this? So that we who gather here on Palm Sunday, so that we gather here on Sunday, so that our Thursdays and our Fridays are found with us still praising his Name. So that when we come to Saturday, we're still energized by the worship of God. And so we're still praising God's name. And so we come together to worship on Sunday. And we're still, we're further energized and strengthened. And so we go forth and we're still growing in faith. Because that's our hope, right? And so we gather on Sunday to energize our, our worship for the week. Because we still worship on Monday, and to, as hard as that is to believe, on, on Monday morning at about 10.30 in the morning, we're still supposed to worship God then. So we're going to read Mark 11, uh, verses 1 to 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. 
Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So we have this scene, you know, these folks waving these palm branches, laying their cloaks down in the road. So that Jesus, this, this colt that Jesus is riding on doesn't even have to step on the dirt road. I mean, just adoration of the crowds. Just a few chapters later, crucify him. Crucify him. What happened? And so what I want to talk today about is expectations. Because we all have expectations. If you've been driving around lately, you've noticed political signs that are up about voting for this person or that person. And as much as you may believe it, that you know, it feels like we just came out of an election. The next one has started up, and pretty soon it'll be in full swing, and then that one will end and we'll be right in the midst of yet another presidential campaign, and that election will come in full swing. And we all come to those with expectations. No matter who you support, you have expectations that that politician will be able to lead the country well. And what I think we mean by that is that our life will, our quality of life will improve because of their leadership. Whether it's the mayor of Chattanooga, a senator, or the president, we expect their leadership to improve our life, right? We have a vision of what that might look like. You know, it might look like that, that we would have more money in our pocket through either, you know, lower taxes or, you know, that, that wage growth. It might look like, um, you know, obviously health care is a big thing that's been, been talked about for the last six years, I think. Um, so it might look like our health care system works like we want it to, and so we're healthier. You know, it might look like, like we're able to pursue opportunities and so we're able to pursue our happiness, right? So that if the politicians we support do what we expect them to, that we'll be healthier, we'll be happier, we'll have more money, right? And then so when, when the wrong person gets elected, we're disappointed because our expectations won't be met. And so we vent about it on Facebook and other social media sites. You know, or in the same way, when the person we support gets elected and they don't do what we expect them to, we turn on them. And we vent about it on Facebook and other social media sites. And so, again, we have expectations and when those are not met, we get disappointed and we can turn on People. And so, when we're thinking about Palm Sunday, when we're thinking about Holy Week, so much of this is set in the expectations of the Jewish people. 
Because, okay, so, so at the time of King Solomon, hundreds of years before Jesus, the, the Jewish empire was huge. They exerted this massive amount of influence on the world, on the region around them. You know, other kings came to King Solomon to hear his wisdom. This was, it was kind of the center of the world. And ever since, that influence and that power had been dwindling. And eventually, what we find in Jesus' time is that the Roman Empire has taken over Jerusalem. And they are an occupying force. And the Jewish people who see this land as the promise that was made to them, see the Roman army then, and for hundreds of years they have been anxious for a Messiah to come and deliver them. And when they think about deliverance, their expectation is that the Messiah will come and deliver them from the hands of this Roman occupying force. So again, to put it in modern day sense, if, if Georgia decided to take over Chattanooga, and we were all living here, and the, the army of Georgia was occupying us, we would be expecting, if somebody was going to come save us, they would kick the army of Georgia back to Georgia, and we'd be free. And so that's what the Jews wanted when they thought, when they thought about a Messiah, is this political, military leader who would come and deliver them. And so Jesus came along as the Messiah, but their expectations were so clear that he would deliver them from the Roman army that when he didn't, they began to question whether he was the Messiah. And so we know about Jesus' ministry. And we look back and we see these three years of amazing miracles. Right? These healings. He cast out demons. The way that he taught. He walked on water. He, he multiplied the loaves and the fish and fed all these people. And we look at these and say, these are these amazing miracles. But the Jewish people looked at the Roman soldiers standing on the corner. And they said, but the Romans are still here. We expect you to get rid of the Roman army. We expect you to make it so we can live as a free people here and now. Their expectation of Jesus Christ was very clear. And when he didn't fulfill that expectation, they begin to doubt his authenticity. And so here on Palm Sunday, he's riding into Jerusalem on a colt. And this was not an uncommon thing back in those days that a, a, a leader would do this and it was to institute this reign of peace. And so the people begin to think Jesus has finally come to fulfill the promise. Jesus has come to fulfill our expectations of who the Messiah should be and he's finally come to throw out the Romans. But as we know, Jesus disappointed that expectation. Jesus didn't live up to who the people thought he might be. And because of that, they turned on him. When their expectations were disappointed, they turned viciously on Jesus and rejected him as the Messiah and sought his death. And that's what leads us to Good Friday. It's a disappointment in expectations. But what 
we know is when we read the whole Bible, we understand it wasn't Jesus that was wrong, it was the expectation that was wrong. Because the people were fixated on here and now, and how is my life going to improve today? And what Jesus said, He said, I've come to build a kingdom, but my kingdom is not necessarily just of this world. My kingdom is, is not just about defeating the Roman Empire. My kingdom is about defeating sin and death. It's about creating an eternal kingdom where you can live forever in peace and joy and in the reign of God. You can dwell in the unapproachable light in which God dwells. My kingdom will last forever. And I want you to be a part of it. My kingdom will defeat sin and death. And I want you to be a part of it. You can see, when you look at it from that big of a perspective, the Roman Empire doesn't look like much in comparison, does it? And it rises and it falls in its time. And the Greek Empire rises and it falls in its time. You know, all these human empires rise and fall. But Jesus' empire is meant to last forever. And we were created to last forever. And so our life here and now is not the end-all, be-all. It's not just all about today. And so we see when Jesus comes to speak about liberation and redemption, it's way bigger than our minds can expect. But if our expectations are so focused on the here and now, we miss out on the bigger picture. And we're disappointed in Jesus. And so what I want us to think about as we think about Palm Sunday, is our own expectations of what we expect from Jesus Christ. Because if our expectations are wrong, we can be disappointed in what Christ brings. And if we're disappointed in what Christ brings, it's easy to go pursue other things that may promise immediate satisfaction and miss out on the bigger picture, the longer eternal worldview that Christ invites us into. See, there's this whole gospel today of people who come to say that Jesus wants you to be happy, that Jesus wants you to be wealthy, and that Jesus wants you to be healthy. And there are people that will get on TV, that write books that say, Jesus just wants you to be happy. Jesus just wants you to be rich. It's an easy message to proclaim, and we can pull scriptures out that support that. We have to be careful which ones we pull out. But we can twist the Bible to say that this is what Jesus wants. But see, the problem is, if you believe that, what happens when you get sick? What happens when you don't end up wealthy? What happens when you get depressed? What happens when you're struggling with the reality of everyday life? If all we expect from Jesus is that it will make us happy today, then when we get disappointed, we have too small of an image of God. But if our expectation of Jesus Christ is that He will deliver us from sin and death, and that He will deliver us 
through suffering and that He will walk with us through the deepest valleys of our life, then we have a God whom we can lean on every day. Then we have a robust theology that in the face of suffering we can say, this may look bad in the short term, but in the long term we will triumph because we are children of the living God. We can say, I may be suffering today, but I will live forever, and my eternity is filled with joy and peace, and so this suffering cannot overwhelm me. If our expectation of Jesus is that we look to the cross and see a God who triumphs through suffering rather than a God who avoids suffering, if our expectation is correct, then every day we can wake up and say, no matter what life brings to me today, my God is bigger than this. If our expectation is correct, when we face the deepest challenges, when we look in the mirror with our own, to our own death, we can look at that and say, my God is bigger than this. My God can triumph through this. My God can bring me through this. When our expectations are correct, the realities of suffering that Jesus endured cannot derail our faith. And so, when we read Scripture, we can't just skip over the unhappy parts. We can't just skip over the parts that are tough. The parts where Christ talks about the reality of suffering. The reality of Christ's own suffering. Good Friday is real. The death of Christ, the suffering that He went through is real. And He promises that we too will suffer. But what he promises is that our suffering shall not overwhelm us. That our suffering shall not conquer us. Paul, one of the most faithful disciples, who was willing to do whatever Christ called him to do, he talks about how he was beaten, how he was arrested, how he struggled. But he also recognized that his expectation was that even through death, God will triumph. And that he shall reign forever. And so when we think about our expectation of the Christian life, may we not think of a God who just wants us to be happy and wealthy and healthy. God does, I believe, want to pour out blessings upon us. Always for the purpose of blessing others. But we think about a God who will triumph ultimately through suffering. We think about a God who promises eternity, an eternal kingdom that shall have no end. And so friends, this is the life we're invited into. A life filled with joy and with peace and wonder and a life filled with hardship. But beyond this life, Christ's kingdom will still reign. And Christ comes to deliver us into that kingdom forever and ever. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks for your power and your sovereignty. For you are sovereign over suffering. You deliver us through suffering, Lord. Hardships shall not separate us from your love. And so may we set our expectations correctly. May we expect you to be with us every day of our life. And may we expect that ultimately we shall dwell in unapproachable light with you. And whatever comes to us in life, may we endure confident that it shall not be the end. And that you and you alone have the final word. And that final word is love. And in Christ that word is spoken definitively in the empty tomb when we see your power. On the cross when we see your love. 
May we fix our eyes on you, Lord, and let nothing tear our vision away from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.